0: The shark babe, has such teeth dear and it shows them pearly white just a jack knife has old Maggie Heath, Babe and it keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites with his teeth
1: So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take. Me, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin taking the reins as always. Hope everybody's well, surviving this January. And thanks very much for the feedback we had on last week's instalment with Curtis Woodhouse. He's a great bloke, Curtis. Such an interesting story. Uh, And somebody who we probably don't hear enough from, to be honest, in boxing, because he's got a lot of very pertinent observations to make and he's not afraid to make them. So do check that one out if you haven't listened to it already. Today, we have another Yorkshireman, a a son of the steel city, a blade to boot. So somebody who will be very familiar with Curtis's work as a a footballer in those famous red and white stripes down at Bramwell Lane. Um, He is also someone who, in his own field, has achieved great success, not just in one sport, but in a number of sports. We know what his number one sport is, though, and that is what we all know him for. As Bunty would say, the smooth voice of BT Sport Boxing. John Rawling. John, how are you doing?
0: I'm very well, thank you. As well as can be hoped for, you know.
1: It is indeed one of those one of those scenarios. And there's so many things we could talk to John about and we'll get into plenty of them over the course of the next hour or so. But I thought to kick off with, we'd have a kind of mini deep dive into a big fight, which is something we've been doing in, in recent months. For this one, we'll go back to a fight which really didn't happen that long ago. So it kind of goes against the grain of what we've been doing to an extent because people might think that it's a bit too recent, really, to be reminiscing about this. But the point of it is the point of it is that it's not that long ago. It was just before the world changed back on February the 22nd last year and I have been reading over the last few days that apparently this time of year is clinically according to behavioral psychologists and and other such experts the most depressing time of the year and you know you can understand you can understand the argument because it's January the days are short the weather's not great Christmas is a is a memory not that it was that great this year anyway and of course we're in the middle still of a global pandemic so I thought we would just try and lift the gloom by going back to simpler times, better times that weren't actually that long ago, just to try and make everybody believe that these, these kinds of events will be back because this was the last really big fight we had, as I said, before, before all of this happened, it was of course a rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, which produced a performance from Fury, which was just out of this world. There were two fights between them, of course, And the first one was unbelievably dramatic as well. We'll home in more on the second, but obviously the first informs the second. So we'll be mentioning that along the way. John was at both of them. First question, John, does it, I mean, how long ago does that feel like it was now? It's 11 months almost to the day, but it must feel like a lifetime ago.
0: Well, 11 months doesn't feel very long, does it? But uh, you almost feel, Andy, as though you're looking at at a different world. When we were there, it was a huge fight, a massive event, uh, which had global impact. And what Tyson did was one of the was one of the great heavyweight performances, what he produced, unquestionably. Uh and, and we were we realized at the time that we were watching something very special, but I don't think anybody realized or even suspected that it was going to be the last big global event that we'd witness. You know, eleven eleven months only. It almost feels almost feels like years it seems seems as you're looking almost into a, into another world but fingers crossed we get back to it and we get some more of those big events in the future that's what's keeping us all going isn't it
1: absolutely it is absolutely so just just take us back to that to that week because we'd had the first fight which ended in the unbelievable draw the incredible drama of that final round when when fury just feet away from you was flat out on his back seemed to all the world as though that was it and then he somehow managed to to rise like the the kind of archetypal phoenix from the flames and then they'd gone away and they both had a couple of fights each and wilder had boxed brazil and Luis ortiz and tyson had signed up with espn uh, and top rank and he'd gone and had a couple of of easier fights against tom schwartz or not wallin and Before that second fight, he'd made changes. In the first fight, he boxed how we are used to seeing him box. Box like a a middleweight in in, in a heavyweight's body with all that kind of movement and all the trickery uh, and all the consummate skill that we come to expect from him. And he very nearly won doing it. So you kind of thought to yourself, or at least I did, well, you know, if he could do that after all that time out and just a couple of fairly meaningless warm-ups. He could surely do that again more effectively and win the fight that way. But he decided, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Um, he parted ways with Ben Davison, which seemed like a fairly ruthless move at the time. But, but professional sports, it can be that way. He teamed up with Sugar Hill, told us he was, going to, he was going to get on the front foot and take Deontay Wilder out. Did you believe him? I mean, I'll admit it. I didn't. I didn't think he would do that. I don't know why I didn't, because the cronk is the place to go if you're going to do that. But it just seems it just seems so audacious to, to make that kind <laughs> of make that kind of prediction.
0: Well, I was one of those who did believe it, uh, because obviously I've been close to to Tyson and people around him in the build-up. And I think particularly his father, and you know, Big John has a has a serious influence on Tyson. I'm not saying that he is the dominant decision making factor in that camp but he certainly has an influence and uh, john had talked to us long long about the fact that that deonte wilder couldn't fight, can't fight on the back foot and i think that this is something that they've come to realize that tyson had come to realize that john had come to realize and they talked it through with people like like andy lee and to actually find the right person to implement that sort of aggressive style, then Sugar Hill Steward was the way they went. And um, he, 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 I was pretty certain before I got out to our, to Las Vegas. But once we got over there and hooking up with uh, Lennox Lewis, who of course was with Emmanuel for so many, so many years. And I remember saying to Lennox, you know, can he really have changed it in that period of time? And he's, and he, he just sort of said in with absolute certainty, yes, he can. You know, before he was fighting on the back foot and flicking his punches, this time he'll be planting onto the front front foot and punching through the target. And he, you know, he sort of—he I remember at the weigh-in, Lennox did a little demonstration of this with me. So I was hit by the former world heavyweight champion. He sort of banged me with this left jab, and he said, "That's the difference." And uh, as I almost picked myself off the floor, I sort of said, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, But I I was I was absolutely I was pretty certain beforehand. And when it came to fight night, I really did think big time that he was going to do it. But I was alongside Barry Jones and David Hay, particularly David Hay was very much doubtful and sceptical that Tyson was going to be able to do this. And he thought that what we were going to see was going to be the uh, Deontay Wilder of the last three rounds in Los Angeles when he had Fury down twice. He thought that that was going to be merely a continuation of that. And knowing that he could hurt Tyson in that way, he believed that Fury was going to be knocked out by Wilder. So, you know, we had that. There was that disparity of view. And it's worth remembering as well, Andy, that the gambling favorite in Vegas, with quite a lot of late money coming on, was Deontay Wilder.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I I picked Wilder in the first fight. I'm always happy to be honest about these things. I thought that the reason that Fury took that fight quicker than most people thought that he would was because he thought that it wasn't there anymore and that he needed to get a big fight before someone, before a lesser name beat him Uh, and and a big fight and a a big payday disappeared. And I was completely and utterly wrong. And I picked Wilder again for the second fight. Um, (laughs) Uh, yeah, and I was and I was wrong again, Matt. So you know better than than we do as a fighter how hard it is to make that kind of style adjustment, let alone to do it on the biggest stage of all. You've always been an admirer of of, of Fury's um, because of those just ridiculous skills that he's got. I mean, wh- where where were you on all of this? Did you think that he would do it?
2: So. I'll just go back a little bit. So that when they went to the, in the first fight, when he fought Wilder, I remember my thinking going into that, because, you know, you talk about it with colleagues around the boxing world and, you know, your friends and et cetera, and everyone's got their opinion. And I just thought that there was no question that Tyson Fury is the better boxer, the more, by far, more talent, naturally talented, et cetera. But I was just a bit concerned, worried that really he'd only had two glorified spars really, if we're honest, the level of opponents that he boxed previous to going into the first wilder fight after a two and a half year layoff. So I just thought it was a little bit too soon for him and I didn't know if he'd have the sort of fight fitness to to, to, to pull off the win. But um, I actually thought he won. I didn't think the draw was, yeah. was right. I thought he should have got the decision. I thought he was unlucky. Um, and I thought going into the second fight that he would win, but not via the way that he did. I thought he'd just do what he did in the first fight, but just implement it better, execute it uh, more successfully. Then he'd, he'd stay out the way a bit better. He'd read him a bit more. He'd have that fitness now, having gotten those 12 hard rounds. And I just thought he'd beat him that way. And I'd been actually ringside for Deontay Wilder's two fights previous in the year before, when he absolutely banjoed Dominic Brazil with that right hand. And of course you know, knocked out Luis Ortiz, having not won a single round, certainly not my card, I didn't have him winning one round, going into that uh, sixth round, I think it was, when he knocked out um, Luis Ortiz. So, you know, I've I seen Wilder's shortcomings, technically, you know, skill-wise, etc., but I also realised he had this absolutely unnatural one-punch power that could just turn the fight around, uh, as he did against Ortiz. So, I just thought he would, I thought, but I did think Yuri beat him because I thought he'll do what he did in the first fight, where he'll just do it better. And he's just got to make sure he stays out that way. Um, I didn't, I didn't think and didn't sort of foresee him taking the centre of the ring, backing him up. even though he said he was going to do that. I just thought he's saying that just to try and run foot him a little bit, But he, but there's no way he's going to do that. When it comes down to it, he'll he he'll, he'll box. He's a natural boxer. He's a great mover. He's got agile. He's got a, you know. He's very agile. His head movement. I just so I was a little. I was surprised at not that he won, but I was just surprised at the manner of which he went about it.
0: That that first round, you know, I mean, it was extraordinary, wasn't it? The that you could almost see the sense of shock on Deontay Wilder's face when what happened happened. He went and took centre ring uh, Tyson Fury and he, 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 he was he was mugging him. He was battering him. He was intimidating him. And then there was I was watching back the fight last night just to, you know, to, to trigger a few of the memories. And he was he was smacked Fury hard by a right hand in the second round and he takes it. And he takes it and not only takes it, he admitted afterwards, yeah, I was buzzed by that, but he continued on the front foot and he then he launches another huge attack on Wilder and he was just being totally and utterly outgained. You know, he was being bullied and intimidated in a way in which he never had been before.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of... Billy Graham used to say to me, there's lots of ways to, bully, to intimidate your opponent, that like you know, trash talking and getting in your face generally doesn't really work because we've all been there type thing. He said, but, you know, not touching gloves, you know, manhandling someone up close. When you do get into a clinch, let them, you know, not push them off balance when they're not in a strong position. Let them know you're the boss in there. That's the way to intimidate them and take their confidence away. John there, that's what Fury did. He just completely bullied him. He manhandled him. He ragdolled him. You know, he took the fight. Took, like you say, took the centre of the ring. It, now, they might look, you, you're going to take the centre of the ring and back up a, a massive puncher like Dante Wilder. But sometimes what seems to be the scary tactics are actually the right tactics because he took, you're taking the play away. He took the play away from Dante Wilder. As you said, John Fury said, back him up. What can he do? Dante Wilder can't go backwards. Once he's backed up, he can't get leverage. He can't plant his feet. He can't get set. He couldn't, you know, he can't punch on the move. He has to get set for that shot. So, you know, obviously they might look like crazy tactics, but actually they were very intelligent ones.
0: And we're all we're all we're all very wise about it now. And it all looks very logical, logical when you when you look back at it like this. Matt. But, you know, I mean, it's it's dead right what you were saying and what many were saying beforehand, that they just didn't believe that this was feasible against a heavyweight who some were saying was the greatest single one punch knockout artist in the history of the sport. I remember being out uh, for, a, for a few beers the night before, out with some of the some of the journos, and there's Paul Haywood and, uh, and Kevin Garside and one or two others who've been around the sport for a long, long time. And they just couldn't take, you know, I mean, I was insistent this was going to happen, and they, they, they couldn't take it. You know, and were, it's, it's one thing to talk about doing it, but to then get out there and implement it, as Tyson did, I still look back, you know, I mean, I, I, I still look back in wonderment at that last round in in Los Angeles. How on earth did he get up off the off the canvas and, and do what he did and survive to the final bell and then be, be be robbed. You know, that last three minutes was just unbelievable. But then to actually go from there to do what he did. People talk about great British performances in America, but that was right up there. It really was
1: Oh it was absolutely I mean you would put it up there I think with with pretty much any of them and in terms of away wins in general he's got two now that that win against klitschko wasn't as spectacular but it was absolutely massive it's created a heavyweight scene over the course of the last five years which has been fascinating um, and that was that was down to him he he started that I remember vividly after two rounds sat on my sofa in the middle of the night downstairs watching this by myself thinking wow this is over because you just described those first two rounds perfectly there John and and he did everything that he needed to do. He he showed Wilder what he was going to do to him. He took a big shot off Wilder and didn't show any ill effects, even though, as you said, he he, he did feel that shot. And after two rounds, I just looked at it and just thought, there is, there is no way back here. During the course of the week, how did Wilder strike you during the, the course of the build-up over the week? Because Tyson's always very confident, always rock solid because I've got plenty to say, while there's one of these characters who does seem to become a different person during fight week, we've, we've heard him say some, some, some ill-advised things during fight week. How did he seem to you?
0: Well, he's always, yeah. I mean, you, you put it into words there. You know, he is, he's, he's a strange one, isn't he? Um, and he, and but he, I, I got the impression that there was the belief there that they'd, that they'd, they'd been before. Uh, certainly up until the weigh-in. But did it change actually at the weigh-in when he saw Fury and he saw him weigh-in at, what was it, 19 stone 7, career heaviest? Whether or not he was carrying something onto the scales to make that weight heavier than it was, then, you know, only he knows. But uh, but I I, I got the impression that after the weigh-in, he wasn't quite the same cocksure figure that he'd been prior to that and uh, maybe as it came closer maybe there were there were seeds seeds of doubt starting to get in there it's hard hard to say really but you know i think i think wilder was did ha- always have that intimidation factor and maybe he saw that when tyson was right in front of him 100% he was not intimidated hey hey, hey can- Hey, kids! Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this
2: latest uh, CIA funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital podcast. Oh, what is it about?
0: I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. This is so crazy! i watching
1: the fights unfold at ringside when it's a massive fight like that, a huge occasion. It's it, and you're witnessing something spectacular, which is absolutely what it what it was. I mean, just just give people an idea of of what that's like, because this is a huge night for you as well. I mean, you're a very experienced guy. You've covered a lot of big fights, but this is the world heavyweight championship. Uh, You're in Sin City, one of the capitals of boxing. You've got Tyson Fury there, who's a, who's a British fighter and he's winning the title and he's not just winning it. He is winning it in the most cataclysmic style, doing what you thought that he would do. And you've got to kind of combine the, excitement that you're feeling as kind of a boxing fan with doing your with doing your job because there's a place for there's a place for that within the within the commentary obviously that passion and and enthusiasm I mean how how difficult is it when when it's all going off in in, in that kind of in that kind of fashion just to stay completely balanced
0: well it is difficult I mean of course you 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 spend the weeks beforehand, picking up little tidbits from talking to people, and then when you get to Las Vegas, the week of the fight, you talk to everybody around it, and you have your you have your ideas, and you you make your page of notes before you before you go in there, and you've got all your the little prompts in front of your records and what people have said, principal victories, etc., etc. But what you've got to do when you commentate on any fight the most important thing you do is watch what's going on in front of you so don't be looking down reading your notes and uh, and blathering on about what's gone on in the past and what their record is and what they've said about this and what they've said about that if somebody's in the middle of the ring smacking somebody in the chops putting him onto the back foot bossing the fight and producing a 3 minutes which at the end of that 3 minutes david hay a former champion himself is saying that's the best three minutes I've ever seen Tyson Fury produce. Now, in those three minutes, you've got to have found the, the, the words to explain why that's happening the emotion to go with it to convey the excitement for everybody who's watching. And let's not deceive ourselves, it's the vast majority of people who are watching are Tyson Fury fans and not Deontay Wilder fans. So a little bit of one-eyed interpretation doesn't automatically go against go against the grain. But I think the most important thing, Andy, is that you're aware that you're there actually as a friend of people who are watching. You know, you're sitting on your settee at two o'clock, five o'clock in the morning watching there i don't want to be there ranting and raving at you and lecturing at you about why it's happening all i want to be doing is making you feel as though you're sitting alongside me and enjoying the excitement of what's going on on the screen that you're enjoying the fight that little bit more and that's all i ever that's all i ever aim to do when i'm covering a fight to hopefully make people who are watching or help people who are watching understand it that little bit more with whoever i'm commentating with on this occasion barry jones given that little bit more of technical insight but also just to really above anything aid the enjoyment and that's what i try to do and what it's all what i've always tried to do in the last 30 years or so
1: yeah I i would i would that, that, that's exactly that's exactly how I I look at it myself. I I often think that the role of the commentator. W- we'll get into this in a bit more detail in in a few minutes, but I almost think we're kind of like the referee. Like a, a good referee and a good commentator, you keep the fight moving, you keep the fight flowing, you hopefully make it more enjoyable for people watching it. You impose yourself on it when you feel like you need to, but ultimately, you know, it's 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 those two those two men or women who do the kind of who do the talking for you in
0: but well, you have lights. to you have you have to find the words to go with it when you have something truly exciting that's why I, I sometimes you know I sometimes get a bit irritated with commentators who try to make something sound like world war 3 and give it uh, give it the impression that you're watching something truly amazing when quite clearly you're not watching something truly amazing and if you go into hyperbole when you're looking at something which is is a little bit mundane. When you get something like Fury and Wilder, which to my way of looking at it in all the time I've been doing this was one of the exceptional performances that I've ever seen from anybody. Then if you, you you know, you've got to give yourself space to really expand into that and reflect the sheer brilliance of what you're seeing in front of you. You know, it's like one of my other sports, Olymp- uh, you know, uh, uh, athletics, Olympics. Not everything's an Olympic final. Not everything's Michael Johnson in Atlanta in the Golden Shoes, running around that stadium, winning the 200 meters and the 400 meters like some sort of athletics god. You know, not every performance is like that. So you've got to give yourself space to reflect that once you actually see it.
1: Matt Weekall fights together. Um... Well, not most weeks at the minute, but I've been doing for a, for a long time. And, and really interesting thing that, that, that John said there is that you have to expand into that space where something truly extraordinary is happening. You have to give yourself that room to that peak to, to scale when it's when, when it's appropriate. The, for me, I think maybe the kind of difficulty with sitting and watching something spectacular like that is, you're, is that you're seeing it and we're all seeing it at home and just thinking, wow, this is amazing. If you're the person who's actually got to call the action you find yourself checking yourself almost don't you and, and thinking is this as good as I think it is well I,
0: that,
1: on this I hit, occasion I the
0: roof with this one on this occasion I don't think I don't think that was ever ever a, a danger you know because you could tell by I could tell by the reaction of everybody around. And remember, there was a big travelling contingent of supporters there. It, was, it wasn't like uh, some of the fights in the past, like when, like when for instance, Lennox Lewis fought Evander Holyfield. Uh, Lennox, that was the pinnacle of the sport and was a fantastic occasion. But Lennox didn't have the passionate support that Tyson Fury did he didn't have the passionate support that Ricky Hatton did there was an army of fans going over there who were bellowing their support for every punch which was landed but more than that i think it was the reaction of those around me you know immediately around me i'd got i'd got barry and david there were the american commentators there as well and other big uh, big names at ringside and you can see from the reaction of people there and you sense it that the noise and the reaction of people at ringside just how good something it's something is and i think you go with that and and plus andy when you've done it for you know for decades you 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 can put it into some sort of uh, historical context instantly because you can say well i was there and and you know instinctively when you see a performance as brilliant as what tyson fury was producing that it's something which will which will sort of stand for the ages. It's something that people will look back at in 10, 20, 30 years time, maybe longer and say, "Yeah, that was something which on that night from the Gypsy King was pretty incredible." And I just hope that I did it justice. That's the that's that's my only uh, that was my only thing afterwards, you know, you look as ever we're all we're all insecure, aren't we? And we all look for a bit of uh, of reassurance that we've done okay. And you just sort of want to know that if it was as good as you think it was, that you did it justice with what you said. Hey everybody, this is Moto G. Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model and style that could possibly exist plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast for Moto One Podcast Network Studios.
1: Well, you can rest easy, John, because uh, uh, I, th- I thought it was. I thought it was, and obviously that's that's really all that matters, um, Matt. To get back to the to the fight itself, I mean, it was epic viewing. It was epic viewing. You could you could feel it come through the TV. John and Barry did a terrific job with it. The action speaks for itself in boxing. In 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 a way that in other sports maybe it doesn't because of the the brutality of it in this in this instance, and that's. That's what it was. There's an awful lot of skill and finesse in boxing, a lot of subtlety, a lot of nuance, but this wasn't that. This was, he brutalised Deontay Wilder. Uh, and and as it went on, I, I guess like me, you must have been thinking, this is just a question of how long he can take it for.
0: Yeah, I mean, I,
2: I was literally nodding my head all through John there when he when he was talking about the, um, you know, you've got to give yourself somewhere to go. You know, seeing a really good fight, a five round shootout your call for a Southern area title isn't the same as the heavyweight championship of the world. You, you, so you've got to give yourself levels, but that doesn't mean during that fight, you're not getting excited and you're not conveying the atmosphere and the excitement within that fight, but you've got to keep it in perspective that it's a Southern area title. and But this is the Ante Wilder, Tyson Fury, heavyweight, you know, the antis, are, you know, I've done many big, I've been to many big, big fights in Las Vegas and, you know, you're in the casino, you're in the hotel, you're down in the media room, and there's there's a there's a gradual anticipation for the fight. Nice. You're speaking to people, opinions are varied, you know what I mean. So, you know, the anticipations were high for that fight because Wilder, like I say, going into the fight was just coming off two massive knockout wins. Like I say, absolutely Polak's Dominic Brazil with one punch, and then you know, completely turned the fight on its head against Luis Ortiz. So the anticipation would have been huge. Tyson Fury is just an unbelievable character, personality. It, it, it's infectious, you know. So the, the atmosphere, the excitement going into that fight, I think, John, I'm guessing that if the fight ends up being good, there is no ceiling. You can blast through any ceiling there with the excitement because this is the heavyweight championship of the world. But, you know, going back to the fight, Andy, yeah, look, it... it, it, it like I said, I thought he was going to outpoint him out, box him. I didn't think he was going to take the centre of the ring, back him up, ragdoll him, manhandle him, bully him. Didn't see that coming. Um, the way he did it, yeah, breathtaking. I mean, listen, you've got to mention as well, I, I will mention him, Andy Lee. You know, Andy Lee... Manny Stewart, you know, that Manny Stewart used to like a tall fighter that'd take the centre of the ring, back his guys up and were big punchers, you know, Tommy Hearns, Gerald McClellan. These are tall guys that you'd expect to box on the back foot. They used to take the centre of the ring. Back there. Andy Lee, six foot three, middleweight, big puncher. So, you know, you can you could see the, the influence there, I thought, from Andy Lee and, and Sugar Hill. You could definitely see it because we'd never seen Tyson Fury do that before. Nothing like that. You know, He we knew he was a great boxer. We didn't know that he could take the centre of the ring and actually do what he told us he was going to do. You know, he, he, he told us he was going to do it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a trick. He said he was going to do this, but I don't know how many of us really believed it. I didn't. I thought it was just mind games. And he, when when the bell went, he would looked to outbox him, outmanoeuvre him.
1: So let's just have a quick chat about what the way the fight concluded and what happened subsequently, because you could see that the writing was on the wall and this was only going to last into the middle rounds, maybe because you just couldn't see any way back for Deontay Wilder. You couldn't see any way that he could do anything about this. And eventually Mark Breland throws in the towel and anybody watching that fight, who's got the remotest clue about boxing will have known that that was the right thing to do. It was absolutely the right thing to do. It didn't look like anyone else was going to do it. And he 100% did the right thing. When somebody gets beaten for the first time, it's obviously a huge moment in their career. And, And as observers, you're always wondering how they're going to respond to it, how they're going to react, particularly when it's somebody like Wilder, who previously had seemed not invincible because you know, he could take a shot and look at a little bit wobbly every now and again, but just because of the way he went about things, he did it with such a machismo is his style of boxing that maybe that, that first defeat was always going to be a bit bigger for somebody with that kind of swagger. I mean, did you get any sense in the immediate aftermath, John, that, that, that Deontay was going to, well, unravel frankly in, mm. in, in the way that he has done since
0: not in the immediate not in the immediate uh, aftermath no because he was so comprehensively beaten I think those I mean I don't want Matt to think about this but I think there's a very good argument that mark Breland could have thrown the towel in before he did mm. I, think, I think I think he could have stopped it before he did Matt I
2: think so too I thought I, I, you know I, I... If they did not let him out for that round, that would have made perfect sense. To me, I have thought, good call. If the fight had you could, the fight had been knocked out of him. The belief had gone. He was getting beaten up. I thought he was just hanging in there at that point. At no point then, as far as a, a contest, the fight was over.
0: He was in danger. He was in danger of getting really seriously hurt. I thought it had got to that point. You know, I mean, we all like to see exciting boxing matches, and we all like to see. You know, I mean, when you and Jamie Moore went in together, that was one of the was one of the exciting matches, which sta- domestic matchups, which stands out in you know in any boxing boxing fan's memory. And you want to see bravery on both sides. You want to see give and take. But you, what you don't want to see. It's a Gerald McClellan situation with somebody taken out of the ring with life-changing injuries. You know, at least uh, my, my sort of thoughts immediately after that, Andy, was that Deontay Wilder was given a compassionate e- e- escape by Mark Breland. And at least he'll get to 40 years old and still re- be able to remember his pin card number and he'll be able to use his money rather than be, be blowing bubbles or worse.
2: Mm. Now, I thought Breland was... The only man in the corner, really, that was seeing the fight as it was happening, not yeah. how they open it was going to happen. You know, sometimes you get these... You see it with trainers, they're waiting for a fight to transpire or a game time to play out, and it's like, mate, that game plan, <laughs> that ship sailed three or four rounds ago. That's, that, that's not coming back. You've got to react to what's actually happening in front yeah. of your eyes. And Mark Breeland did the right thing.
0: And I think, you know, I mean, I think uh, Deontay Wilder's reaction thereafter... It's been delusional, hasn't it? It's maybe mm. been the, the action of a man who's trying to give himself some, give himself as much as fans, maybe give himself some sort of belief. Oh, you know, the gloves were loaded or the water was, was tainted or this or that. You know, and he's, he's, he's clutching at straws to try and give himself some sort of stature as his career advances from here.
2: Yeah, well, I thought Andy nailed it, didn't he, when he said he's basically unravelled, and that's what's happened. Like you say, I mean, there's, I think there's, there can be a level of denial with fighters, particularly when they lose their maybe their first fight and they feel they're invincible. But I think in order to kind of put it behind you and move on and improve and make the the necessary adjustments, you have to face and deal with what happened. If you keep denying it or you're not accepting it, then how do you ever really improve from that?
0: Exactly. sorry
1: carry on andy exactly that was the that that was my point really is that fighters when they lose for the first time they have to try and explain it to themselves but that explanation does have to be it can be kind of tinged with a little bit of self indulgence a little bit of denial because fighters tread that fine line between confidence and delusion some of the time but it has to be it's basically hot. it has to be basically it's- grounded in reality
0: it's hard to see how there's ever going to be another fight between them now, though, isn't there? Because what he, I mean, what he said is just so preposterous that it just doesn't stand rational assessment. He's talking about something which potentially went on in the in the dressing room with gloves being ro- loaded. You know, J. D. S. was there watching the the gloves being wrapped. There were Nevada State Athletic Commission observers in there as well. It, it's it's just ridiculous and and. The sort of stuff which Wilder's coming out with, it would, I'm sure, if Fury chose to took him, take him to court, it could be viewed to be slanderous and defamatory. But, you know, Fury said, and with some justification, I think, I'm never going to fight him again now. And I don't think he ever will.
1: Well, that's what we've all kind of got our, our, our eye on to see what happens with that. But just a, a more kind of basic question, Matt even if this clause is still valid, and even if the Wilder team could force a fight with Fury next, given what happened the last time they met, if you're in Deontay Wilder's team, if you're looking after him, should you make that fight or not, given what happened last time?
2: So, you know, there's the the boxing decision and there's a business decision, you know, from a business decision, he's probably never going to, he's not going to get a fight where he's going to win anywhere near the type of money I'm sure he's guaranteed for that next fight. That's the business decision from a boxing decision. There's no way in the world you would ever go back into a rematch straight away after a loss in the way that he lost against Fury. You'd want to get that confidence back. You'd probably take a few fights to get that confidence back. You know, we've seen Joshua against Ruiz. That 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 was done because of business. That's why they went into the immediate rematch. I believe. I think if that was if that hadn't have been if that had been different people like different different circumstances you after a loss like that you'd have took a, an easier fight got your confidence back maybe a couple of fights got it back and then look to do the rematch you know i don't think you'd have gone into the immediate rematch but you know sort because of, of business and financial reasons and there was a lot riding on it they went straight back in and joshua did what he had to do but the wilder fury won the way the way he beat him you know <sighs> I don't think Wilder wants to fight Fury again. You know, whatever about the business people, Al Heyman or, or Shelley Finkel, whoever's guiding Wilder, what decisions, whatever their agendas are, I don't think Toy, I don't think Deontay Wilder himself, that person, wants to fight Tyson Fury again. Why would you? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. He's outboxed him, and, and he's and he's manhandled him and bullied him and, and 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 took his soul away. He he literally completely took the fight away from him in that second fight. wasn't He was done. Deontay Wilder was done and he should be thanking Mark Breland, not firing him.
0: He'll never Absolutely. be the same fighter again. No way. You know, it doesn't matter who he fights, whether it's, uh, you know, if, if just talk to him fighting uh, Dillian, isn't there? You know, I mean, if he fought him, I don't think he'd be the same fighter that he was of two, three years ago. He's going to be, he's going to have that inbuilt insecurity now of knowing that somebody can get in there and beat the crap out of him, which is what happened.
1: Well, the interesting thing when you look at the top of that heavyweight division and given what he's achieved in the past, you'd you'd have to keep Wilder in that top three, probably four or five, certainly. He's now got that kind of inbuilt insecurity because of what's happened to him. Joshua will probably always carry it around with him as well because of what happened to him against Andy Ruiz. The one person who doesn't have it is Fury. And would you say, John, in, in your years of watching this and doing this, is he now the complete heavyweight? Because he's shown us he's shown us everything, hasn't he? He's shown us he can do everything.
0: Well, he was the complete heavyweight on that night. That I can say. But you know, I mean, the reason that people look back at the career of Lennox Lewis and say, what a great fighter he was. And there's even an argument for saying that he might be the best of the lot. There is that, there is that argument out there. And, uh, but I think that that is kind of born of the fact that he was able to get up again and again and again and again. Tyson Fury has done it against, uh, against Klitschko and now against Wilder. I still think that he needs to be able to do it again and, and reach that sort of level. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's the test of whether somebody is, an all-time great fighter. Tyson Fury on two nights against Klitschko with a certain style of fighting, and then in a totally different manner against Deontay Wilder on two nights, he was absolutely exceptional. And I think that as a result of that, he can justifiably take uh, take the accolade of being at the moment the number one, at least the way I look at it.
1: So if we get the fight that we, that we all want, which is Fury against Joshua, if that occurs in, in May, June, we won't get too bogged down in the politi- politics of discussing the whys and wherefores please and the no, likelihoods no. and the likelihoods of it, of it occurring, because it's, um, I mean, it's just, it's just not interesting at all. But, but that fight is, is fascinating. Um, I've got tremendous admiration for what Joshua has achieved in such a short space of time. And I think that's what people forget with him, is that he hasn't been boxing that long. What 11, 12 years? Whereas Fury's been doing it for maybe maybe, <coughs> du- maybe double that amount of time, given the, the traveler background and how how young they start. So he's still improving, isn't he, Joshua? He's kind of coming up on the rail, but I still have Fury a few yards ahead of him, galloping down that furlong. I mean, how would you how would you assess that that fight?
0: Well, if I was commentating on it, I think I'd be I you, you I, I think in my mind I'd be going into that saying. This is Fury's to lose in a way. I think he's got the the physical attributes, the speed and reactions of a of a middleweight or a light heavyweight. Uh, he's got the boxing ability, and he's now proved in that second fight against Wilder that he's got the chin, and also that he's got the ability to get on the front foot and unload. So, in in boxing terms, he doesn't have discernible weakness that Anthony Joshua is going to be able to able to expose I've got massive massive respect for what uh, Joshua did by going back and winning that rematch against Ruiz I heard people and I saw people saying oh he fought scared you know and he's 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 he can't take a shot, and he fought. He, he tried to nick it, etc., etc. No, he didn't try to nick it. He didn't. It wasn't because he can't take a shot. He knew that he had to fight like that to guarantee that he was going to win the fight. He and Robert McCracken got their tactics absolutely right. Now, what I do have enormous respect for Robert, and indeed for Anthony, is that tactically they're very shrewd, and they'll look at they'll look at Fury and analyze him and take what they know from when they've sparred in the dim and distant past, you know, and and all evidence in front of them, and they'll come out with a game plan. And yeah, I think that Fury will win, but having said that, I can certainly see a scenario where Anthony Joshua wins it, because somebody as big and as strong as him who can punch like him, who has that pedigree as an amateur, and has then overcome adversity as a professional and come back, you know, I mean, that commands huge respect.
2: Yeah, I mean I'm the same John I've got massive admiration for Joshua the way he went into the second the immediate rematch. Loads of people were saying he shouldn't do it. But he went out to Saudi, he dropped nearly a stone in weight. You know, he wasn't trying to change his team. There was a lot of calls for that. He stuck with what with, with Robert and rightly so, and they got their tactics spot on and he boxed to instructions and to do that and to keep disciplined, uh, you know, that under those circumstances, that was that was a that was a, fun, that, that was a People knocked his performance in He's saying it was boring. He did what he had to do in that fight. And every fight's different. You know, he, he kept it at the range it was meant to be for. He kept it long. And when Ruiz got close, he tied him up. He nullified him. Why would you stand and get into an exchange with a guy with shorter arms and faster hands and give him a chance? He'd he done the right thing. I thought against Pulev, you could see he was a, still a little bit apprehensive. But I think, I think now he's probably got his confidence back to where it was. I think, And I think going into the Fury fight, I actually think he's a better fighter because of the loss to Ruiz. Because it makes you look at yourself. It makes you, uh, everything, your mindset, your approach, your, your, how much sparring you're doing. Are you doing too much, too little? Am I a little bit too big in terms of doing too much weight training? He will absolutely micro-analyze everything. Because that's what you do when you lose, because you feel the pain you know when you're winning yeah there's things that you could probably brush up on but you're onto the next one and you're onto the next one when you lose it's like bang everything stops and you micro you look at everything through a microscope so i think the joshua now that's had those two fights he beat ruiz he got his i think he's got his confidence back now after the the, the rounds against uh, Pulev. i think going into the fury fight it'll be a better anthony joshua i still make fury the favorite but I but I can definitely see how Joshua could win it. I think if I think you know Tyson Fury will have to be at the top of his game to be uh, to beat Anthony Joshua. But I think if he is, then, then he's the favorite.
1: Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. I would agree. I would agree with that. Uh, and, and as I said before, I, do, I think Joshua is still making strides. He's still making strides. You're always going to be when you're, when you're, when you just haven't been boxing for, for as long as somebody who achieves what he has achieved should have been, quite honestly. Uh, and let's just hope we see it. Let's hope we see it. First time May, June, maybe that's the kind of rumour. Quite a lot of bullish talk from, from Eddie Hearn and Bob Arum that this can be, that this can be done. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um so we talked about commentary a little bit earlier. And one thing I'm curious about, John, is how have you found it doing the job since boxing returned? Because it is different, isn't it? You know, we never yeah. complain about any conditions that we would find ourselves in because it's just, a, it's just such a great job to have. But we are a lot further away. In, in, in logistical terms, um, for people listening, if we're at ringside... That's generally what that means. We'll be right up on the apron and you get a magnificent view. It is tremendous. And we will all watch the ring. We've got a replay screen and you'll use that when you need to. If, if you're blindsided a bit or something's blocking your view, you can glance down and it's it's always completely up to the split second real time. So you can use that, but you're going to be watching. You're going to be watching the ring. Now we don't really have too much choice, but to either exclusively use the screen or or use the screen a lot more than than we normally would. Um, and that makes a difference. Um, and there's no crowd, so there's no kind of atmosphere to, to feed off. And, and that makes a difference too. I mean, how have you how have you found it?
0: Well, I think, you know, I mean, as a commentator, you're never gonna keep you're never gonna keep everybody happy, are you? There's always somebody who's gonna say, Oh, I can't stand him, or I can't stand the way he does this, or he talks too much, or he doesn't talk enough, or he makes it boring, or he's over the top. Uh, I I think I think what I've found is that you do when you've got no crowd, you probably do have to probably have to project that little bit more and probably say that that wee bit more than you normally would and bring your co-commentator in and try and tee them them up. So you're not leaving you're not leaving quite so much what you what's known in the business as dead air because you, you, you can't. You can't allow the atmosphere of the crowd to to speak for itself. You have to you have to provide something to to maintain uh, viewer interest of what's going on in front of them. And unfortunately, some people might say that that is uh, you do that by by probably saying that little bit more. But I think you have to you have to project a wee bit more and and maybe probably uh, probably try and and score it and give more talking points as you're going along uh, than you normally would do. Am I making sense there? I think, I think you just have to stay on the action that wee bit more than you would in normal times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think, I don't think you have too much choice other than to, other than to do that. And when you've got that quiet atmosphere, you do have to push your voice just that, that little bit more. It's not about shouting, is it? It's just about, talking really loudly that's the kind of the kind of skill of it when you've got a crowd you're competing against the crowd so you've got to you've got to lift yourself to make sure that people can hear you but the danger in a really quiet environment is that you just lap into a kind of conversational tone and conversational style is okay but but we can't talk to each other on commentary like we're talking to each other if we were sitting in in the boozer because you know you people just that's just not how you do it
0: no, I mean there are some football commentators, no names mentioned, but they get frequently pilloried online uh, because they have this sort of chatty style which doesn't create excitement. So you get supporters of of Liverpool, for argument's sake, who are saying, "Oh, such and such is never giving my team enough uh, credibility because they're not getting excited about what they're about what they're seeing in front of you." And you, you know, yeah, I, I think you do have to, you do have to project and you do have to get emotionally involved and committed to an extent in the fight or you're uh, or you're you're not you're not you're not doing it justice you have to go with your emotions do you know what
2: i think there is i think there's nothing worse than watching a fight or any sport or uh, let's say we'll stick to boxing you're watching a fight and you know you want to hear passion yeah. You want to hear excitement. You know, I, I, I'm a fan watching a fight. I want to hear passion, especially if it's at that stage of the fight where it's back and forth from down I want, I want to hear that excitement. I want to hear the passion in the voices of the commentator. I want to know that they're emotionally invested in this fight, just as I am a fan watching it on the TV. And I think, you know, you can't fake that. Like I said, you know, and you can't, it's got to be relative to, to the occasion and, and also what's happening in the ring, but I want to hear passion in the commentator's and
0: voice. And if we get it wrong, you know, so be it. We're human. Mm. We do get it wrong <laughs> sometimes. But all I all I all I ever say is, you know, if I'm commentating on Matthew Macklin fighting and he doesn't see it as I as I saw it, which quite possibly is has been has been the way in the past, all I would say is that, well, if I did make a mistake, I did it honestly. I didn't have any any sort of hidden agenda. It was just going with the moment and you you take it as you as you see it. And if you if you get it wrong, then okay, I got it wrong on that occasion. That's the that's the nature of the beast.
1: one thing you said earlier John too which which I'll been nodding my head vigorously is that boxing's one of those sports where when the action is live, so between those two bells, the three minutes or, or the two minutes, then you've just got to be Talking about that, about what is happening in front of you, about what is actually going on and and the problem with the kind of with the conversational style sometimes is that people just start talking about other things and in boxing yeah. in boxing you you can 't not talk about what is happening in front of you because what 's going on is so it 's so vital and so energized and relentless in, in in football, I can see how you might do it more because. You've got a goal kick or a free kick, and you've got a good few seconds, and you might kind of just start talking about about something else. But um, it, I mean, these are things that we all think about, that we all think about a lot, and um, you know, we can we can assure people that we very much do examine uh, the way the way we do it. It, it in terms of the logistics of it, Matt, and the differences between pre-COVID and now. I mean, what have you found? What's been the what's been the biggest thing that you've noticed where you've just thought, I can't wait to go back to normal because of this.
2: Probably similar to what John touched on is in you know we're away from the ring so we're not when you when you're we're when normally we're ringside. Not only is the view great, but you can you get this feel. You can hear the shots. You can feel if someone's dipping, they're getting tired. I know you've got it on a screen, but it's not the same when you're up close. You you can feel it, and so it's harder from that point of view. Obviously, no crowd. You know when when there's a great fight and it's up, it's an up and down affair, and you got this. You know you got. Cheers from this side of the crowd, then that crowd. It, it's easy to kind of get into that mode because you, because we're genuinely excited with the crowd and we're feeding off their energy as much as anyone. So it's 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 easy to do it. You know, when we're in Eddie's back garden and there's no one there, but it's a really good fight. You know, yeah, we are go. We, we zone in and, and we do it because we're professional. But it's it, it, it's not as easy. It, it, it's not as natural. We have to kind of. Uh, be conscious to create that excitement and we are because we're watching it but we're, we have to really zone in and make as i think john said it project it we, we're aware there's people watching this on tv and we're trying to get excited in the crowd and the passion but when you're in the o2 arena and it's packed out and the crowd's already doing that anyway it, it's just natural it's so easy to get there you know it under covid restrictions no crowd it, it's more difficult
0: Maybe we're earning our money a bit more than we do normally.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very possibly. Very possibly. And I think what what, what you were talking about there, Matt, I think that's one reason why I've continued to try and watch the ring as much as possible, because that bigger picture just allows you to see where they are in the ring, who's backing up, kind of how they're backing up. It, It allows you a bit more of a glimpse of that body language, which, like you said, when you're close, you really you really see very clearly. One other thing it's made me wonder about, and interested to see what you both think about this, because I've not asked you this, Matt. Actually, when we're ringside pre COVID, obviously we are ringside and the judges are ringside too, and we're all watching the ring. Everybody watching at home is watching the pictures they get uh, via our director via TV. And fights can look quite different from ringside than they do on TV. Not that often, I don't think, but sometimes. I'll watch a fight back that I've been ringside for. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. That that kind of looked a bit different on TV. At the moment, though, everybody at home is watching it on TV. And basically, we're pretty much commentating going off what they're watching because we're watching the the screen a lot more than we normally would. But the judges are still watching the ring. So you've got a little bit of a difference there. And, and I remember that fight between Ritson and, and Vasquez, which which I watched on the screen. You've been mainly watching the screen commentating, so you score it on the screen. Everybody watching at home had it exactly how you had it, um, which was a wide win for Vasquez. The three judges all had it wide for Ritson. Now, I think you were right, but do you see what I, I did, mean?
2: I think one of them had it for Vasquez. It was a split decision, wasn't it?
1: Uh, I can't remember, to be honest. but, but two, Yeah, no, I think it was a split decision, but
2: not as wide for Vasquez as what I had it.
1: But do you see what I mean? It's just—it just struck me that that's that is a little bit of a difference. Is that what we're using to judge the fight is the same as what people are seeing at home? And now, really, the only people watching the ring are the judges. I think. I think with the with that fight,
2: I think more so than that than the COVID restrictions being a fact, I think it was a case of, you know, I think the only way the judges could have got to that score was they weren't really crediting Vasquez's work. Now Vasquez was punching in flurries. He was throwing combinations. And yes, some of those were being blocked with the gloves. Like, you know, there weren't eye-catching shots that were snapping the head clean back, but he was throwing lots of shots. And when he was throwing an eight point, punch combination, maybe none of them was knocking the head clean back. But certainly three or four of those were getting through and they were scoring punches. And then Lewis Ritson had probably land, you know, three or four solid shots in that round, which knocked the head back. So you are getting to the point and you're thinking, well, do you like these 10 flurries that Vasquez has landed, albeit some of them being partially blocked? Or do you like the three or four or five clean shots that knocked the head back? And I just felt that Ritson, while I would admit that he landed probably the best shots of the round, that just simply wasn't anywhere near enough of them. And Vasquez, you know, in what, what I thought w- w- was clearly winning the rounds, it, it, it well, it's that old argument, you know. Did you like the the eye-catching, clean ones that snapped the head back, or did you like the volume from from, from uh, Vasquez? I want to say volume. These weren't punches that were just hitting the gloves. Many of them were penetrating them and getting through as well. So it's it's a judgment call.
0: It is. It's a styles thing, isn't it? But well, you know, it's what it's what it's what you like often at the end of the day but as well as that when you when you're scoring a fight and people i think sometimes think people don't get this when they're watching on tv and they're thinking how on earth can somebody have it 117 111 and somebody else has got it 116 114 you know it's the it's the very very narrow rounds where, where you can go one way or the other and that's where you get your big disparities in scoring scoring and often the rounds which are which are key in making making a verdict one way or the other. Often those rounds are very close rounds and it's often goes down to what you say, Matt, it's what you like in a particular boxing match. What catches, what catches your eye. And, you know, I think sometimes the judges, you do get shockers obviously, but sometimes I think they get unnecessarily pilloried uh, because it's, because it's, it's not a, it's not an easy job. It's a, it's a, a very difficult thing to to do and until you put on the spot and say right who's won that round is it this or is it that you know it's it's not an easy thing and you you must find that I know I do
2: yeah and it, it, John, judging a fights difficult in, in, in some of those fights that are so close and, and like you say they're very different do you like the do you like the eye-catching single shots or do you like the work rate combinations but then on top of that, when you're commentating as well, and yeah. you've got to keep the score of a fight, it's not that you know we're doing a few jobs there, aren't we? It's not it's not an easy job to do.
0: Yeah, and then you get people chiming in on the end of it saying, "Oh, you're one-eyed as usual." And you know, it's you know, sometimes the thing like saying to these people, you can't respond, but you sort of say, "Well, I will tell you what, mate, you come along and you you give it a go, and let's see how that works out." <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think that's, that is That is absolutely fair fair comment. Um, it is difficult scoring a fight whilst you're commentating, and it might sound like a bit of a mad thing to say because we're sitting there watching the fight, so why should it make a difference? And it's quite hard to explain it, but it, it just is. It just is more difficult to score it when you're commentating on it. For example, I mean, I would know because um, I commentate on fights for, for Sky, obviously, and I will keep a scorecard, um, and then... For other fights, I'll just do the scorecard. And it is so much easier to score the fight when I'm just doing the scorecard and not and not, commentating, and not commentating as well. But I, I agree with what you said there about sometimes you can get a range of scores and that'd be absolutely fine. If you've got four really close rounds in a 12-round fight and say the other eight are fairly straightforward, four to Rawling, four to Macklin, four very, very close, then, if you give all four to Rawling, you get 116, one way. You give all four to Macklin, you get one sixteen, one twelve, his way. So, kind of both of those scores and anything in between, you would say works. But but people just don't like to.
0: No, don't people like and to, then people are it. saying, "Well, how can he see it that way?" And how can he see it that way? And it's uh, you know, and you've just said exactly how that can happen and does happen.
1: And some of it will come down to where the where the judges sat on which side of the ring they are and, and that returns to kind of the, the reason I raised this is because fights can sometimes look different from ringside, uh, and at the minute now we 've got a situation where really the only people watching the fight from ringside are the judges, so in a sense, I think they 're in an even more difficult position now than they've than they 've possibly possibly ever been um but let's 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 move on to just um something else I was keen to 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 get into with with you John, which is just the TV landscape, basically. Uh, you've, been, you've been at this a while, as you, as you mentioned previously, and lots has changed over the last 25, 30 years. And at the minute, we've got another kind of change that has been introduced. I mean, back in the day, in the early nineties, it was subscription um, TV was sky arriving in the UK. It had already arrived in America, and, and, it, and, it, and it came over here and people were very sceptical about it. They kind of scoffed at it and, and wondered whether, you know, people aren't going to want to do that. Putting a dish on the side of their house, they're not going to do that. Uh, then of course they did do it. Uh, now we've got streaming arriving and all sorts of different platforms. And, and you see Netflix and Amazon and Dizona, the, the, the sports um, equivalent of that within, within boxing. I mean, how different is it now compared to how it, how it used to be?
0: well it's massively different massively uh you know we used to have just uh, just the bbc and the itv didn't we i'm just uh, moving away here because i've got a barking dog in the background so i'm just going to shut the door so we don't get to, we don't get a german shepherd dog answering the question um <laughs> yeah i mean it used to be just bbc and itv and so so if you were going to be anything in the boxing world you were on one or t'other, and uh, and things have changed and change, changed massively. You know, the boxing, the landscape has changed and there is there's more boxing available now than there ever, ever used to be. People look back with rose, t- rose uh, tinted glasses and they see it in as something it, it never was. You know, I mean, you, we didn't used to watch the undercards as we do now. We used to watching five or six bouts when we turn on and watch. A night of boxing. That never used to be the case. If you were watching Sports Night, or if you were watching a big fight on ITV on Saturday night, you didn't watch four or five fights in the run-up to the main event. You you watched maybe one, and then it was the main event. So you know we're watching a huge amount more, and I think it's I think it's better from that perspective. Uh, and uh, it's 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 changed. That's the that's the bottom line. And you're not you're never going to change it back. And you have to go with it. Streaming is is happening. That's the uh, that's the present. And things are are moving, moving on in that direction. I'll tell you something I do think is very unfortunate. It's seeing it's the power of uh, social media and the power of YouTube, etc. So you're getting fighters who clearly are incapable of fighting at a high level, who are getting big profile fights who frankly don't deserve it. And uh, I think that that is is very very unfortunate. And I think that there is a there is a danger that you're going to get somebody out there in a fight, somebody who's got a big social media following, who's put into a fight they're incapable really on their ability of being in, and they're going to wind up being seriously hurt. And that's my that's my fear of the way things are going at the moment. Yeah, I've said this to you before, and I said this is all these YouTubers. I said it's all fun and games. Until someone
2: ends up getting badly hurt, and that'll be the end of it.
1: One, one thing, just on that, one thing I did see today actually is that, um, and we're not going to go down this this road, but um, Jake Paul uh, signed with Triller, which is that kind of entertainment pay per view platform that that we saw Tyson against against Roy Jones on, and that's exactly where I think all of that stuff should go. It's not proper boxing, it's not professional boxing. Stick it on some kind of entertainment platform that's that's not really affiliated with boxing and let them do their thing and that's absolutely fine uh just leave the rest of us out of it um and you know we'll we'll, we'll lock that door uh and uh, it's a hope
2: but it's not going to happen but I also think, power, I also it. think the commissions need to distance themselves from it you know because really what is it it's a white collar fight it's not a professional fight it's white collar so let it be white collar but if, it, if the commission of the California Commission or the Boxing Board or can, British Boxing board are, are sanctioning it, then then they are kind of acknowledging it as a professional sport, and obviously it's not. So it is what it is. It, it's white collar. It's it's show. It's showbiz. It's entertainment. Fair enough. But I think they leave it. I think there has to be a bit more of a, of a I don't know a distinguished separation of the two.
0: It worries me because you know in McGregor versus Mayweather. Is the second biggest grossing fight of all time in terms of television revenue, uh, behind Pacquiao and Mayweather. Now, I think anybody with a brain in their head knew that Conor McGregor was not going to win that fight. No way, absolutely no way. And yet, it was sold. You know, and as long as it can be sold and generate pay-per-view revenue, then people are going to latch onto it. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. And John, as mad as that was, at least Conor McGregor is a
2: combat sports person at the top of his game. Yeah, I grant you that, yeah. You know what I mean? At least
0: least he's not a YouTuber. Yeah, 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 I grant you that.
1: So one debate which usually comes up, or comes up fairly often, is... The question of why terrestrial TV isn't more into boxing these days, because it used to be the case. And you've sat at, you've sat at all tables in the bar really on this one, because you've worked for the BBC, you've worked for ITV, uh, Box Nation, now BT Sport, uh, and Channel Five. Uh, we, we can't overlook them; they've been a solid presence. And Sky, of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> Channel Five have been a so- have been a solid presence um, on terrestrial TV these last few years. ITV though your old your old outfit they do seem to kind of have a, have abandoned boxing they've dipped back in and out every now and again over the last few years i'm not i'm not picking on them because you know there are other terrestrial channels but generally speaking why is it do you think that terrestrial tv just doesn't seem to really trust the investment that you need to well make the
0: money and the money end of the market is pay per view isn't it uh, and you can't make your pay-per-view if you're selling your uh, if you're selling your, your 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 wares to to bbc television and bbc i think have uh, have stra- a strange attitude towards boxing they always have had and they it's almost as though oh, this isn't quite right we shouldn't be doing this you know and uh and i think that you know since since harry carpenter's day probably in the last in the last 20 years they've not really had a a proper interest in it apart from at the apart from at the olympics where they kind of feel as though they can vaguely justify it itv were very very strongly into it and then fell out of love with it when the sport went across to uh, to sky they flirted with it since but i think it 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 sometimes it can be as close it can be as important as anything as to whether or not the head of a particular channel is really into that sport and I don't think that ITV, I don't think that I'm speaking out of turn to say that ITV's head of sport is not a big boxing man and therefore would not support it quite as much as as uh, as some of the heads of ITV sport would have done in the past. It can sometimes be just as simple as that.
2: Well, I think you're absolutely spot on John, I think the fact that if you look at the sort of last, you know, from 2010 to 2020 is a a golden era at Sky. Um, I think there's no, or you know, certainly one of the golden eras, there's probably been a few, but I think there's no no, um, coincidence that Barney Francis, who's the head of Sky Sports, is a boxing fan. He liked boxing. So, you know, if that had been someone that wasn't keen on boxing, that was more
0: into cricket
2: or golf or something, then maybe it wouldn't have got the same sort of push.
0: Well, it's the same on, B- on BT Sport now. Simon Green, the head of BT, is a big boxing fan, you know, and, uh, and has, has got a good working relationship with Frank Warren. And so consequently, it's a, it's a, a solid partnership, which has produced a, a lot of good boxing shows for, for fans. But, you know, I mean, if, if for argument's sake, there was suddenly somebody in power at Sky who wasn't into boxing, then is it going to continue? Maybe not.
1: I do think that's a really interesting point you made there and it it kind of opens the door to another another facet of that discussion And you've you've written still do right for 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 newspapers and and the subject that's always interested me is what sports get covered the amount of coverage they get and why that ends up being the case because as you said there sometimes it can be as simple in tv as is the person who's approving the schedule and signing the checks. Are they into this sport or are they into that sport? And when I look at newspapers sometimes, boxing gets very little coverage now. And I see other sports that I feel get a disproportionate amount of coverage. And I've got nothing against any of these sports, but golf, tennis, rugby union would be some of my kind of go-tos. In terms of popularity, how much more popular than boxing are they really? <laughs> Difficult well,
0: I'm answer. not sure the that- I'm not sure I'm not sure newspapers are the, are the are the way to judge that now because newspapers audience and purchasers are very much an aging demographic I don't think that uh, young kids who follow sports are much are buying newspapers now they get it off They get it off the internet one way or another, be it it YouTube, be it Twitter, wherever. And they're following sports in that manner rather uh, rather than buying newspapers. I don't think that's the way it's done now. You know, I mean, every morning I wander down to the village shop and buy myself a copy of the Times and maybe one of the tabloids. I don't think there's too many others who do that.
1: But what, what what I'm referring to really more is 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 who decides what gets in in the paper or on the or, or on the website or or on the TV, and it's just struck me sometimes that possibly the reason that boxing doesn't get as much coverage as what you might describe as more middle class sports are because the people making the decisions about what gets covered and what doesn't are more middle class.
0: Yeah. Well, so, so therefore, we get uh, therefore we get endless reams of rugby in our Sunday heavyweight newspapers when uh, the vast, whereas where, where a very small part of the population is actually very heavily into rugby, except for the Six Nations and the tours. Um, yeah, I think you've got a valid point there. I really do.
1: Yeah, it's just something that had always always. Occurred to me, but you know, these, these things are, they are, they are the way they be You're right. And
2: I'll, just to throw it in as well, I know one, um, th- 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 I don't know what the situation is there now, but um Royal Nugent was the head of sports at RTE and he was a big rugby man. And there used to be, you know, certainly within the boxing fraternity in Ireland, you know, massive complaints and never really answered like why isn't boxing on, RTE, you know Bernard Don when he won the world title did massive viewing figures. Yes, it was at the on the back of Ireland winning the Grand Slam on the same night. But all the boxing shows did really good viewing figures. So, but I think royal Nugent just wasn't a boxing fan. I think the guy before him probably was and probably had a relationship. Again, we talk about relationships. She said Simon Green, Frank Warren, good relationship. Barney Francis, Eddie Hearn. It, 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 relationships matter, I suppose, as well because. He Ron, when he came on, then boxing just kind of seemed to just drift away. And I I think they did Willie Casey and Rigando, but like the basically, it fell apart where it had been really very much a, a staple part of the diet. So I think I think the head of sports
0: on what they like it, it definitely plays a big part and advertising revenue. You know, you get some sports like uh, like Formula One, uh, like golf, who. Generate bigger hitters in terms of advertising support and advertising revenue, which certainly for you know for all the television channels that's uh, that's that's a factor, and the sports and you know, boxing has to dig into uh, the online gambling uh, revenues, as indeed does darts. Whereas you'll see uh, you'll see golf tournaments being sponsored by Rolex, Formula One. Uh, flaunting the names of the manufacturers it's 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 everything's it goes back to everything it's a business it's not just sport you and i might might swim the atlantic to go and watch a world heavyweight boxing fight you know you look back i look back at the at the previous century and the people say well what's the biggest sporting occasion of all time in the 20th century then i you know for me i go back to to zaire to to foreman and foreman and, and ali to uh, Madison Square Garden Addison uh, Alley and Frazier, you know but but it's not everybody who'd see it that way and it's all about and increasingly in the world we're living now it's about money which is generated by by uh by advertising surrounding sports which makes it either big or not big and in some cases right down to the very fundamental of whether it's covered or not covered
1: yeah yeah that that's that's a pretty much a perfect summary of, of, of the dynamic um, involved. And th- there's a big decision coming up soon in, in terms of, of TV, um, which Matchroom have to make as to whether they stay with Sky or they go with zone or they do some kind of mixture. So we're all looking at that, I think, with interest. Mick Macklin particularly looking at that one with interest. There's not a massive amount to say about it, to be honest, until the decision is, is actually made. Um, so for the final... Furlong of this uh, of this chat, we'll just um, we'll just touch on something you reminded me of when we spoke on the phone, John, which was that a fight we talk about on the podcast. All we touch on quite regularly is Matt's fight against Felix Sturm. Not because we have a, a pity party for Macklin every week, because he should have got the decision and didn't. He's he's almost kind of reluctant to really get into it in too much detail because I mean that's not what you want, is it? You don't you don't want people thinking that you're forever walking around. Feeling sorry for yourself because you're not. But John commentated on that fight, so I thought it would. Ten be quite, years ago, yeah, yeah, ten years ago. I thought it'd be quite interesting just to get get your recollections of it.
0: Well, it was in it was in Cologne, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. And I, I, I mean, Felix Stern was an interesting character. He was uh, he he had a very big fan base. He was uh, he was very articulate. Um, he he'd campaigned. At a high level, he'd fought Oscar De La Hoya. Many people thought he beat Oscar De La Hoya, but didn't get the verdict. Um, and he was going on his own, promoting his own fights in the what turned out to be the latter end of his career. Uh, he'd had a couple in Stuttgart, which is where he came from. And then this this big one against Matt was uh, was at Cologne. And I remember, the, uh, I remember it very clearly, actually. I mean, Matt had only had those I think you would had just two defeats at that stage as you went into the into the fight, Matt. And they you'd had a you'd had an undefeated run of five or six years coming into it. So you were really up for it and feeling feeling confident and feeling that maybe Sturm's best days were behind him. Sturm, I think, had taken this fight feeling that Matt was, you know, was marketable but was technically limited and that he'd have the advantage when it came to that. And it had it had a lot of talking points, and turned out to be a very interesting fight. And uh, it was—I remember the actual the actual fight as being as being very close. And it was one of those contests where we were talking about judging beforehand. There were there was a significant number of rounds in my recollection of it, which a a ringside scorer could have gone one way or the other. And you've got to remember that back in those days, where the, the fag end of a time when Germany used to be associated with some absolutely horrendous uh, judging decisions. I mean, did you, do you remember Sven Otka when he fought Robin Reed? I mean, how Robin Reed was treated like he was was absolutely scandalous. But he was and he didn't get the title. He didn't get the win. He was being penalized with with shots to the body. So I think he was that was a, an extreme advantage of a hugely hometown decision. And I think looking back at it with the 2020 vision of hindsight to to coin a cliche, I think Matt was on the on the wrong end of a hometown decision. I think probably our commentary that myself, I think I was with Jim Watt for that one. I think the commentary that we did probably, you're probably thinking, well, hang on, these close, these close rounds. Yeah, you know, Matt may have won it, but is he going to get it? And I know you shouldn't commentate like that. You should do it how you get it in your heart and how you see it but I think probably we made it much closer than it than it should have been. And looking back with the 2020 vision of hindsight, I mean, having having seen it again, I think I'd go with the, the vast majority of those Macklin supporters and say, yeah, he was very unlucky not to have got that world title on that particular night.
2: Yeah, and, and John, you're, if you remember it, it, in the papers as well and everything the next day, it wasn't just the vast majority of my supporters, it was the vast majority of German voters yeah. voting on. of German voters voting online had me winning the fight. Satines, uh, actual Schultz, working for Satines, had me winning by four or five rounds. Dan Raphael, Lennox Lewis had it 117, 111. I mean, it was a great fight. And, you know, Felix Sturm certainly played his part in the fight and maybe landed the more eye-catching shots. But I remember every time he hit me, a clean shot that snapped my head back. I went straight back at him with three or four because I had that instilled in my head. I thought, I need to win these rounds big because, you know, it's been um, But I just remember, I remember th- 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 in a 12-round fight, there's certain points. You don't remember every second of a 12-round fight, but you remember certain points of it vividly. And I remember standing up at the start of the 12th round thinking... Fucking hell! I've pissed this. I've just got to stand on my feet and a world champion. Don't do anything stupid, you know. And I definitely lost the last round, but but from my point of view, it was literally a case of staying on my feet. I, I, in my head, I'd completely won the fight. Now I'll compare that with going into the eleventh round against Sergio Martinez. I was a round down on two cards and I was three up on one, but but I didn't know that. But in my own heart, I thought this is very close. I could be behind here. I probably need these two rounds. And so took few chances, got caught. Then at the end of the eleventh, but when I compare that to the stern one, they were just absolute chalk and cheese. I thought, I've won the fucking fight. I've just got to stay on my feet. <laughs> but hey ho. I- and then I heard split decision. You know,
0: and my stomach sunk. and I thought they're gonna fuck. They're gonna fuck me here, and they did. I remember after it had been uh, after it had been given. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'd known you for I'd known you for a fair few years beforehand and we'd always got on well. And but I, I, I was always incredibly impressed with how well you took it. I mean, you must have been in your in your heart at that moment. You must have been absolutely seething, massively disappointed and furious at what uh, at what you saw as being you not getting the decision you deserved. But I tell you what. You didn't have to take that like a sportsman. You were you were mm. very very big in defeat. Yeah,
2: well, I've always tried to be that way, and 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 also I think I think in the press conference afterwards, when Brian Peters read out you know lots of tweets from Andre Ward, Carl Frutch, Eddie Hearn, Ludi Bella, Al Bernstein, Lennox Lewis, and it, the whole sort of boxing world, seen how I felt the fight went, it kind of it kind of um, diluted my anger, you know what I mean? It was like, well, okay, it was American TV, Sky, at least everyone's seen what they seen. It wasn't just, I ain't walking, you know, when you'd, you'd lose on a, on a Thursday night club bout in Wolverhampton somewhere when you're an amateur and you've got to go into school <laughs> the next day and say, uh, I got robbed. And it's like, everyone's thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. Where at least with this, you know, everyone's seen it for themselves.
0: They never wanted to give you the rematch, did they? No, no, definitely not. He never, he never wanted. That probably tells you all you need to know.
2: Yeah, and and, and even his whole demeanour after the fight, he knew he got beat. He knew he got beaten and his team knew and they didn't say, I mean, if you remember the press conference, John, they never said one word in that press conference. He just, he just wanted to get out of there, didn't he?
0: Oh, it was uh, 10 years ago. I mean, where did that, where did that go? Where did that go? But uh, you know, I mean, you were up there and you fought at the very highest level. And okay, on that occasion, you didn't quite get across the line, but you should have done. And you know, and you've got something there which you can look back at and be immensely proud of. Always, and you always should be.
2: Yeah, I mean, the decision is nothing that I have control over. But I'm only in control of my performance, and I performed, and that's all you can do.
0: So what you did it, end- and you had the ball. You have the balls to get through the ropes and, uh, you know, I've seen uh, I've seen a, a lot of fights and I've done this for an awful long time. But I always have ma- massive admiration for any fighter who's got the guts up there and to, you know, to lay themselves bare and, and give it inside a boxing ring. And, uh, you know, and fair play to you. You're damn good, Matt. And it's a shame you can't look back and say I was once the world champion. But, you know, you're about as close as you possibly could be.
1: Well, it's just not, it's not quite a level playing field, is it? That's another one of the fascinating things about boxing, winning a world title in whatever circumstances you do, it is a tremendous achievement, but some people get better, more uh, kinder opportunities than others. And that's just, that's just how that, that particular cookie crumbles really. So John, before we let you go, what's, what's on the agenda for you coming up? Have you got some darts coming up and then, and then Frampton, is it at the end of February?
0: Yeah, a bit of darts at the end of the month down behind, that's behind closed doors as well, down in Milton Keynes. And we're going to be having the, uh, the new world champion introduced as such for the first time, Gerwin Price, uh, which will be, uh, be interesting. You know, I love the darts as television. It's a, it's a very exciting sport on TV. It's something which really does work. I was interested as well, by the way, to see Adam Smith down there at uh, the Ali Pally commentating this time. And uh, I, have to, I have to say, he did a pretty good job of it. I think he's got a future there as a darts commentator. <laughs> but yeah, after that, after that, I'm going, uh, I'm going on to uh, boxing at the end of February. Uh, we've not got a venue yet, but Carl Frampton fighting there. And, uh, and hopefully plenty more big fights coming up beyond that. And, you know, what's 2021 going to bring us? I think there will be some terrific fights, but I hope above anything, that 2021 is once again going to bring us crowds.
1: Hear, That That's exactly what we all want to see because we all know that as soon as crowds are allowed to come back, then, then we know that they, it's a barometer really for what's what's going on in the wider world. As soon as, as that is allowed to happen, then it's because we're on a surer footing and we're heading back towards towards sunnier climb. So I'm very much looking forward to that Frampton fight because it's just a really big fight. Looking to become Ireland's first ever three-weight world champion. Jamel Herring's a really good fighter. He's got a great backstory too. And ideally, of course, that would be exactly the kind of fight you'd love to see in Belfast in front of a, a raucous crowd. I think Herring was was up for that. But, you know, there's no point in us, us crying about that anymore. And, and the fighters have, have stopped even mentioning it, particularly because they need to get on with their careers. It's, and John needs to get on with his and, day.
0: It's a pick and fight, isn't it? The bookies can't split them. You know, and, and that's, those are the sort of fights that you want to see.
1: They are. They are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, John, we'll let you get on with your day. Thanks very much. Um, My pleasure. We'll see you again soon, hopefully. And thanks for listening, everybody, as as, as usual. Uh, As we said last week, we are expanding a bit on Macklin's take and we will be hitting YouTube before before too long with an extra episode a week. Not exactly sure when that's going to happen. There's no great rush, but within the next month, something like that. Matt's having a, a microphone delivered to his uh, to his penthouse suite sometime soon to make that sound a little bit sharper. I believe he's going to invest in a laptop as well. He's been on an iPad up until this point, so all sorts of technological advancements for uh, for Macklin, which fills him full of fucking dread. I might, <laughs> I might tell you because it's not. <laughs> it's, it's fair to say it's not his favourite area. It's not mine either. But I tell you what, I look like Bill Gates compared to Macklin. Um, <laughs> but stay safe everybody thanks for listening if you if you do find time to get onto iTunes and give us a rate and a review that'd be great and uh, we'll be back again soon
2: on the right
1: bay, not that Maggie back in town look out to and Around. Yes, that line falls on the right, babe, not that mag.